Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hit it. Here we go. Here we go. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Nope. We got Father Mike here and Father Nathan. Hello. Welcome to the show. This is a different angle. Beautiful evening. I'm usually on that side. Is it? This is a much better view. No, I mean, I got this. I got like some strange Lord of the Rings painting. Yep. I get get to see the the ducks on the stained glass here. Was that original of the house? I'm imagining. The ducks are, yeah. Yep. It's nice. It is. It's kind of. You know, my dad used to do stained glass. And uh, he taught me at one point, but it's it takes like a delicacy. You got to solder, and I got these shaky hands. How do, you, do you ever solder? No, I do people ever just solder? I was never good at that. I didn't even take shop in high school. I wish I would have. Yeah, shop is cool. Yeah, I like being handy, but I'm not sure I'm good at it. You made a bookshelf. I made a bookshelf. True. In the book I was reading, it talks about how you should, uh, a sign of a good community is that you have artifacts. So like you have certain tools that you make yourself that actually uh, relate to the life that you're living. Instead of going to the store and buying things, you actually create it yourself. Ah. It's kind of a way of saying like, you know, the community's invested enough that, you know, you're you're making your own tools. And it's I'm like, like a point of sophistication. I'm like, what have I that made? That sounds like... That sounds like archaeologist thing, like Neanderthals. John, like, uh, have you made tools? John wanted to. uh, John wanted to save these little whiskey jars that we got from Law's Whiskey House, Uh courtesy of uh, the Heaton family, and um, uh, he wanted to put balsamic vinegar and oil in them. And it does actually look, you know, fairly nice. You're talking about Father John Neppel? Yeah. He he doesn't want to save anything. Exactly. That's exactly what I said. But he was like so impressed with the design of these things that he was like, we should save these. And then Eusterman made uh, a shooting range out of old LaCroix cans um, and hung them from uh, an old cowbell. I'm like, what have I made? What what are the (laughs) artifacts that I've made? I bet you've made some stuff. I, I I reused a... Tupperware container for the coffee. There you go. That you you inflated a a, uh, a float boat. I mean, you didn't make it, but right. Yeah, set it up. That's true. I don't know. Like, what kind of artifacts? I don't really. I guess I haven't really been making stuff. I don't. I'll have to think about that. I'm about to move, and in the new place, I guess you know what. Here's here this the garden. The garden is cultivating something making something where it wasn't right and it's very personal you know Mm -hmm. gardening and it's it's ephemeral so it's almost better right because you think of like what do they call those sand things that the buddhist monks make you know what i'm talking about sand gardens like the designs Uh and everything and it blows away in the wind because life is zen garden here and then it's gone or whatever what uh, does the? I feel like gardening might be like. Does that. the cathedral have a rooftop? Like, can you go up there? Does it have a terrace? I feel on the back like I'm side? setting myself up for getting in trouble already. I haven't explored it, but I will. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know I, about the. I don't. I mean, I don't think so because it's on the back side. So, what are, have you investigated into community gardens? 
around you? No, in the new neighborhood? Yeah. No, I haven't looked. I'm, you know, there's some space around the property, like around the house, where I think I can do some stuff. I can grow some stuff. There's also like, I've been living at a parish rectory, and they have like a landscape service. Right. So somebody else mows the lawn and sure. trims trees and stuff like that. And I love doing that stuff. So I'm looking forward to being able to. You should come over here. You can trim trees all you want. Yeah. You all, you got a whole forest and yep. pond and. Goslings. The like. Yeah, the goslings. Right. Now, one how, per, a person in my th- house that I won't name actually thought they were technically called gooselings. Gooselings. I'm like, nope, it's I gosling. could see that mistake. I can make it, that mistake. Yeah, it's an honest mistake, but. Gosling. Isn't that like a movie star? Yes, Ryan Goosling. <laughs> the goose. Ryan Goosling. Uh, why do they walk so funny? I mean, evolutionarily, you've got the one of the coolest means of transport with those wings and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you walk, you kind of waddle. They look weird on their weight. Well, it's kind of like people people walking with their skis on. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that's true. whenever they're just like trying it's to get somewhere awkward. and they're walking, it's just, they look ridiculous. But then if you put them, you know, in the in the right way, it's like, oh, that's why they look like that. Yeah, so. that was it has a purpose. Well, right. And it's the neck thing, too. I guess it's all birds. But that are you are you keeping up with the Stanley Lake uh, Eagle drama going on right now? No, I'm not. So what's uh, going on? There is uh, there's a live webcam that you can watch at Stanley Lake. Where there's a ball. Is this in Colorado? Yeah, it's uh, in Arvada, North Arvada. Oh, okay. So um, there are there was a bald eagle uh, that had a nest, and then in the middle of the night, uh, a female, uh, a, another female came in and swooped down on this other chick, other eagle, and then they fought, and then the new eagle took over the nest and then abandoned it, and then the male took up with the the one that came in and nobody knows where the where the original mother is chicks are dead like oh, the chicks the, i was going to ask the about eagles, the eagles the eagle eggs didn't last i mean it's it's wow. drama high drama yeah that sounds pretty unhealthy i mean nature is brutal that's one of the things that they say on the le- on the live webcam nature is brutal we do not control any of the things that you will see on this camera it's like man we got to we got to make that a disclaimer on our podcast I feel nature for the, is brutal. I feel for the the um, what banished woman, the Hagar here. I, right. It's like I I don't know. Like I'm wondering where she is, but she's not coming back there. Why would you? Good for her. She's yeah. She's going away. They think they think that she's either like licking her wounds. She's either licking her wounds or she is uh, like you know flying somewhere else. You know to try and f- find a different mate. So. She's right, an emancipated so, woman now. All right. I, I'm interested in the story, but I think the live webcam would kill me. Like, what are you looking at? There's just the eagles again. Yeah, they there just, they are. Well, they just they just have it on the nest. You know, actually, it's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of drama around there. So I would, you know, it how, may, how it, maybe be a little PG. How many PG hours 13. a day do you spend on this? Eagle. The eagle cam. The I, I was watching cam. it when it, whenever the the, the <laughs> this quarantine is right. It started right at the down. beginning of the coronavirus, and so I I watched. I mean, I probably watched maybe like twenty minutes of footage. They condense it down, so it's like one of those um, like nature cams where it only turns on whenever 
there's movement uh or they at least you know edit it down so you don't see as much of it so you can see a lot of the action i get like can i get like the three minute highlight youtube video yep yeah you can all right because i'm not ready to just so and i was i was so intrigued by this there is a number of live webcams for nature around you know there's like bald eagle uh bald eagle nests on top of light posts and they've just set up a camera and you can watch them you know in the middle of the city uh in like washington or something but one of them was you could watch a wolf sanctuary and i was like dude why don't hey that that might why that don't we throw right. on a little jazz wolf for these guys and just you know. what about the um so what does that do to the hobby of bird watching are these people not allowed to go out i think you can still go out bird watch i just feel like there's something artificial about the webcam thing. yeah can't I you think- just Get your binoculars. Whatever happened, whatever happened to binoculars? As I was as I was uh, biking the other day, there was a guy, you know, out there, you know, with his binoculars and like this enormous camera, and he was taking yeah, pictures. Yeah, that's of what him. I'm talking about. So yeah, I mean, that's a little, that's that's more uh, natural, if you will. Yeah. So the original. We're not doing Bible birds again. So. Are you sure? Uh, I will say this one last Bible bird story. So we we we've been celebrating uh, parking lot masses, and we uh, set up our outdoor altar directly below a tree that has a hawk's nest. Oh boy! And the hawk was staring wise? at me the entire time, and all I could think of was that bird is going to swoop down whenever I do the elevation. Yeah. And pluck the Eucharist out of my hands. And then I'm going to be like, what do I do? You know? Wait, so how are, why are, but why are you, I'm imagining it's way up. So the only time you, you should be seeing it is during that part of the Roman canon the, where you look up. No, I'm. Eyes raised to heaven. Well, I mean, you, you can see it out of the corner of your eye. So anyway, so I kept praying, do not give Israel your beloved to the hawk. Whoa. Your dove to the hawk. And um, anyways, he didn't he didn't swoop. He didn't swoop. And then someone at mass said, did you see that other big bird in the tree that he was staring at the whole time? He wouldn't move. And he didn't move until the mass was ended. And I was like, maybe it was an angel. Hmm. You never know. You never know. Unaware. So right. have you ever seen, I got a couple questions for you. Have you ever seen a great blue heron? Down by the South Platte, you get the great blue heron sometimes. Yes. We got some here. Amazing bird. Mm-hmm. Love that thing. They'll come in to your pond. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, they're, they're they swoop. That's one of my favorites. You know, if you're fly fishing and uh, a blue heron flies over, oftentimes you, the the water will go completely dead because mm-hmm. all the fish see the shadow and they're like, nope, not coming out. Whoa. Yep. Fish are more like they're smarter and more intuitive than I. You know, give them credit for it sometimes. Yep. That's the cool thing about being a fisherman. You like kind of get in the head of those fish. Right. I'm not very good at it, but no. someday. Well, I'm not. Okay, here's here's my other question. Blue Since Heron. You're, you're watching this um, kind of trending stuff. Um, I haven't seen Tiger King, and I was recommended not to see Tiger King. Oh. Let it pass. Um, just the trend. Okay. Know. Then there's the Michael Jordan documentary everybody's into right now. I haven't seen this either. Yep. But it's, um, yeah, it's trending. People are talking. I, and I, I want to see that. And then I'd, I would too. Maybe 
you know, tell me when you're going to watch it. Oh, for sure. I'll come over. I don't have, uh, I don't have, uh, what's it called? Cable. Yeah. So right now it's not, you know, it's not available unless you have cable, but I think it's on Disney plus. So okay. I got some people with some insider info. On yeah. Disney plus Mandalorian and Michael Jordan. Okay. So then the other one is the Elizabeth Holmes drama is all on the podcast sphere. Do you know her Theranos? She's like this Stanford dropout who started a a, a medical technologies company in in Silicon Valley. Uh She got billions of dollars of uh, investors' money, and she had this idea of doing like a finger prick blood test that you can do over the counter. You do it at home, and then it diagnoses any like possible medical condition. Everything, yeah, Um, clever. But then she was saying that it worked and it never worked. And she, they sold it to Walgreens and then it was like this big scandal. Now she's in trouble for fraud. And oh. all these people lost hundreds of millions yeah, of dollars that's bad. and stuff. That's bad. So anyway, that's in that's Wait, trending. There's a there's a drama? Like you can watch it? On- uh, they're going to make a movie. Okay. But right now it's just, you know, people are... I think it's like podcast people. It's, it's an exciting... Okay. Like... The fall of Wall Street, people fooled in Silicon Valley. Can you trust the young people with their sure. ambitions and all that? Yeah, right. Who knows? So, I've been. I, I. I think I'm. I, I've seen enough of it, but I'm still looking for people to to talk about it with, chat about it with. Okay. And you're not my guy. Not my guy. <laughs> was that what your topic was? What Elizabeth Holmes? Yeah. No. Okay, we were no. gonna. It was gonna be a short lived <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that could have been. Well, yeah. Okay, so then. <laughs> so you haven't yeah, seen that again. Okay. Well, all right. I told uh, I told somebody the other day that sometimes, uh, you know, I feel like our intros are are like the Chris Farley show. It's like, do do you remember? You remember when uh, when you did that? It was it was awesome. <laughs> it was yeah, cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I don't even know the Chris Farley show. Oh, that was a Saturday Night Live skit. All right. Yep. Well, there you go. You're on. I just like pushing. I like pushing into the curve of the awkward. You, like, <laughs> you know that, dude. You're like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> All right, dude. I thought we would. Uh, <laughs> pushing into the awkward. That's a great yeah. podcast Todd, topic. I'm going to. I wanted to muse on um, the Eucharistic prayers. Go in, on. In our missile. So the thought was that you got everybody um, quarantined, stay at home, and you can't pray the mass together. Or we're just starting to again. Right. right. And so people are, you know, there's a, a great longing for uh, the Blessed Sacrament. And um, people have been sort of deprived of the experience of the mass, praying the mass together. And um, certainly feel for people. I mean, back when we were just talking about it, it was just the beginning of something. And, um, and I've just seen, you know, that experience play out and how difficult it has been for people, but also how beautiful. And um, so before we're totally in the clear and we're all back, I thought we could muse on yeah. some of the prayers of the, the church and sure. kind of reflect on what, what is the mass and how do we pray when we pray it. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly, um, some particular images in each of the Eucharistic prayers. And I thought you're the, 
you're the guy to talk to about I'm more this. of a liturgy guy. Yeah, you know? you're a liturgy guy. Yep. I'm not trying to box you. I know where you're going, What are you man? trying to... You're going for the dewfall. Well, I'm... Yeah, I love the dewfall. going for the I actually dewfall. wasn't going for the dewfall. What? I think it was... It's mostly like general... Kind of general info. Sure. So maybe we start with number two. So there's four Eucharistic prayers in the Missal, right? And then there's two for reconciliation. Yep. And then there was maybe one for kids... No, we took that one out. Yeah. So was, there's four other ones for masses for various occasions. And then uh, Pope Paul VI, I believe, introduced two for reconciliation, right? But there's four standard right. go-to mm-hmm. uh, Eucharistic prayers. Yep. So the first one is the Roman canon. That is like the classic one we've been using for uh, hundreds of years, maybe mm-hmm. yeah, 1,400 years, something like that, yeah. right? So that's the one um, for the for the Roman rite that has all the saints in it. You know right. that list of saints: mm-hmm. um, Linus, Cletus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius. This stuff. Right? Somebody needs to make a rap out of that. Yeah, it's a good list. But everybody's like, "What is that? Who are these people?" And everything. Yep. So I want, I'm not even going to explain that. A lot of it's like we did those Roman heroes and first popes and yeah. stuff. We did we did a list of the saints from the Roman canon. I don't. How do I? How do I keep up with what we've done and what we haven't done? We just. We you just told recycle. me I repeated one recently, and I wasn't sure. And I don't even know how to. We recorded two on priests on a plane, so don't worry about it. Is like, it? Is it? Uh, check the cloud, or the, what is it? Idea web. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's that thing with all the, the different. Yeah. Subjects that yeah, are cloud yeah, floating around. Something like that. All right. Never mind. Uh, we haven't done this topic yet, so I think it's good. All right, so some particular imagery. Well, just like a general outline of, of the Eucharistic prayers, we always pray um, for the living and the dead. We always pray for the Pope and the local bishop. Mm-hmm. And we pray um, in communion with the saints, like sort of checking in with them and our hope to be among their ranks. Right. Right. Um, and then there's, there's particular language with each of the prayers. Each of them comes from, um, different sources within the history of the church. Mm -hmm. So the Roman canon has been around, it's it's our particular prayer. It's been around for a very long time. I talked to Father Matt Book and he said that the easiest way to see its antiquity is to look at the prayers of Ambrose and the church in Milan. Mm -hmm. So they have their own right you know, technically, and they have, um, with the Ambrosian, right, they have different ways of, like, order of doing things in the Mass, but really their prayers are the same as Rome, and they've always been really careful about trying to Mm -hmm. um, keep the prayers the same. So you can look at their rites that are well-documented. And Ambrose, the Ambrosian rite is from, like, what, the 4th century? Yeah, we got to talk to the historian. I know, like, 1st century. And then after that, it's just right. a bunch of names. I thought that Augustine was like either three twenty-five or four twenty-five. Okay, so sounds right. I end think. of end of the third or end of the fourth century. Okay. Okay, so so that means it's it's be even before that. So like, I mean, we're talking like sixteen hundred years. Yeah, it's old. Yeah. Okay, so um, classic prayer. It's got this line that I I find really intriguing, and I wanted to ask you about. So when we're, we're praying the commemoration of the dead, mm-hmm. 
We say, remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. So take that image. These are the, the folks who have died mm-hmm. and rest in the sleep of peace. And then we say, grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. So on the one hand, we've got like, they're asleep. You know, this is good Pauline theology. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't die anymore. We go to sleep. Sure. And then it talks about this place of refreshment, light, and peace. That uh, term refreshment happens to come from Acts three nineteen to 21, ah. the apocalyptic digression of Peter's temple speech. True. Um, times where he says, you know, if you convert, you, you will have blotting out of your sins and times of refreshment from the face of God. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, restoring all things, as the prophets had said, right? Okay, so the question I have is, are they sleeping? And then the place of refreshment, light, and peace is heaven after the resurrection of the body. Or are we saying, rather than like a difficult purgatory, Mm-hmm. make their afterlife waiting for the the resurrection this kind of paradise image mm-hmm. i guess refreshment light and peace yeah so what are they doing are they sleeping are they sleeping happily are they dreaming yeah are they waiting for the resurrection it's great. or is it like we're we're praying in anticipation of the resurrection mm-hmm. so we're saying give them heaven when it comes right so i I tend to reflect on this with with uh, with families who are at the cemetery because they're like they want to believe that their loved one is already with God, but we have their body. So then, why is it that we're saying open the gates of paradise to them when we already believe that in some sense they're already in heaven, but we know that the fullness of heaven is awaited by all those who sleep in Christ. So, you know, this isn't a, you know, a necropolis. It's a, you know, cemetery. It's where people are sleeping. You know, it's a place of rest. Their graves are called, you know, grave pillows, I think. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah. the that little stone, you know, that's like a circle, like a big tube. It's called a grave pillow. Oh. Um, just to kind of say, like, you know, this is, this is their place of repose. So if they're already if they've already gone forth into the light of God, then we believe that they are experiencing something akin to that refreshment, light, and peace. But the fullness of refreshment, as we kind of see it, uh, would come from bodily enjoyment. There is a spiritual component to it, but it's best when they when they kind of go together. You know, not just like you pop a soda and you're like, you know, but like when you've when you've actually labored for a long time and then you have rest and then, you know, being able to take some refreshment is uh, a, a way of forecasting or, you know, like experiencing now what we'll experience later of the eternal uh, enjoyment of Fare relax. Yeah, fare relax. Yeah, I see it. I mean, that's a, that's part of the complication of of um, the afterlife and our concept of the afterlife. Sure. Right? And 
So I'm I'm not sure how to answer that question. I mean, I ask you, and it's kind of like it's kind of I don't know rhetorical. I guess it's just sure. like it's not like a setup because I'm going to answer it, but I I don't know. And I think um, there is something obviously of the souls at rest. We say rest in peace, mm-hmm. but then it's not heaven until the resurrection of the body. That's what we're meant for: the new heaven and the new earth the recreation and the resurrection of the dead. That's the boldness of the early Christian claim, that Jesus isn't just sleeping like the, um, or, or that the souls after life aren't just going to sleep like the, the pagans all claimed. You know, They believed in sort of an afterlife, but it wasn't resurrection from the dead because it's not coming back to bodily reality and full life. You're just kind of lost in the dream world. Mm. So I think maybe this this concept of the refreshment and is already like working with the sleep. So it's kind of like when you're dreaming. Are you in a nightmare? Are you restless? Are you rolling around? Or rest in peace, you know? Mm-hmm. Is it is it a, the kind of rest when you wake up you're going to feel strong? Yeah. You know, that's refreshment, um, light instead of darkness. You know, you're not caught in this madness of, of the nightmare. Right. Um, so that's kind of, I don't know. I was reflecting on that. It's like, we're talking about resting in the sleep of peace. And then what seems like this active imagery of refreshment, light and peace. Well, we talk about how, you know, a requiem mass Mm -hmm. is, is a mass. Help them sleep. Yeah. That that it would be, you know, for their eternal repose. Um, that's part of the the haunting image of you know these ghosts or these you know souls that are still in torment that like they haven't found rest from their from their labors or even from the the purgation of their sins. Yeah. So from life, you know, the life that they've lived. Right. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, what I think too is like. When we say refreshment, light, and peace, we're saying whatever they can receive right now until the eternal bliss that is to come, like, grant that to them. So I always think that's a beautiful a beautiful moment because you actually rest in the prayer. Mm. You say, you know, remember also your servants who have gone forth in the light of, you know, and rest in the sleep of peace. And then it actually says you pause... And, you know, remember these And persons. recall the people, yeah, yeah. that you're but praying for. within the liturgy itself, it's actually a moment of, of rest. And yeah, that's interesting. Like I haven't thought the about whole, it like The that. whole community kind of settles. If you're, if you're trying to do it too fast, you know, then it's just like, you yeah, and remember it. these people yeah. and whatever. But, like, I find that when you actually bow your head and pray, like, people, people will do it as well. So. Cool. I like it. The art of prayer. Okay, that's Eucharistic Prayer 1, the Eucharistic Roman prayer Canon. One. Eucharistic Prayer 2 is the shortest one, often used at daily masses, sometimes yep. used, you know, um, to I don't know, expedite things. But it, it's got it its own a, it character. Flavor, right? right? And it's got its own history. So this is the oldest Eucharistic prayer that's known and documented. It was fragments of it traditionally attributed to Hippolytus, but no one really believes that Hippolytus wrote it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so they talk about quasi Hippolytism and this kind of stuff. If you're looking for your next cat name, quasi Hippolytus. It's some of the prayers that are the oldest that are explicitly described as prayers of the mass, Mm -hmm. right? So we have descriptions of the liturgy of the word, the breaking of the bread, things like the Didache talk about the ritual of the mass. And those are super early. That's like in the first century. But then when you get the prayers of the mass, this is like the earliest that we know of. So um, it's, yeah, it's short, but it's like, can be very profound. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of the images are um, that we recognize God as the fount of all holiness. And we ask that the Holy Spirit come like the dew fall. It's great for gardeners, you know, um, that, that dew that, that harkens back to the dew in the desert. Mm-hmm. This manna, this bread of life comes from the dew. Yeah. Um, of course, like water images have always been associated with the Holy Spirit, uh, resting over the waters, new creation. Here's the source of life, that dew. Even Garden of Eden, you know, God would walk with them in the cool of the evening. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the dew fall is kind of this freshness. Yeah. Okay. Almost so miraculous. You yeah. Know, it can be very hot. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like, you know, there's this condensation. Yeah. So. And it's the refreshment is the new life that we draw from this bread from heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of like springtime imagery. It's mm-hmm. great for this time of time of the year, Easter time. Okay. And then my, my I think my favorite line from this prayer is, uh, at the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion. Yes. Just to recall at that moment, like Jesus chose this, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I think of the, or take for, take that for granted. Like, okay, he had this mission he had to do, or, you know, he, he suffered whatever the Romans had just because, you know, his, that's, that was his lot. That was his lot. You know, he had a mission. Yeah. It was to die. It was to save the world. And, you know, you don't really know how that's going to play out, but it played out this way. Mm-hmm. And this suggests that he knows what he's getting into and he enters willingly into his passion. Passion means suffering. It means every little moment of suffering along that way, both before. And I think that, you know, traditionally is about the, his arrest and everything that happens after. But I also think like just the incarnation, the humbling of Jesus, walking through Galilee and his ministry being confused, all of these ways that, uh, that there's passion, that there's suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, he entered willingly into his passion. Because isn't the line beforehand on the night he was betrayed? Or is it the line At after? the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his right. passion. Right. So I preached on that for holy, maybe it's holy Thursday two years ago or whatever. But it's like, could you imagine if you were about ready to do the most amazing gift for people? Like you'd plan this whole thing, you know, this whole supper. You were going to wash their feet. You were going to give them the interior dialogue of you and the Father, you know. And then in the middle of all of it, somebody betrays you. Yeah. Like there'd be a part of me that would be like, dude, we're done. Okay. Yeah. Like I had this really cool event. It's going to be great. But you guys just screwed it up, you know. But like he knew all of that and entered willingly into it. Yeah. It wasn't like... Like, oh, that's totally going to throw it off, which is a reminder to me that like even our sinfulness, even our even our deliberate betrayal of him will not prevent him from willingly entering mm. into his suffering. 
and even knowing the yeah the cast of characters someone will betray me and then they all started grumbling about who's the greatest and he mm-hmm. has to kind of correct them and sort it out and he's like i didn't come for this yeah but he, he knows yeah he enters willingly even yeah th- that's the suffering of the people he loves you know to yeah. be with them in this special occasion um, place moment in history he entered willingly into his passion so that's all i get to say about number two Eucharist of prayer too i have found there is a rhythm to it i'm glad that at times you know like we bounce around like i i pray every single one of the prayers probably every month I know some people that are only Eucharistic prayer one people. I know some people that are only Eucharistic prayer two people. I know some people that are only like mass for various occasion three people, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I find that the more you pray one with regularity, the more you kind of notice these kind of nuances. It's helpful. Yeah, and it helps the people kind of become familiar with them. Because I think, yeah, it's hard to know unless you get one that's like real different. Like nobody, like the yeah, the the priest who prays is the same one all the time, and then he switches to number four. People are like, "Whoa, are you making this up?" Yeah, is this? I usually, if I do, if I switch to number four, which is not as frequently used, I forewarn them and just say, "Hey, this is going to sound a little different. I want you to listen and try to hear a word that's you know going to speak to you." So. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think the, so. Eucharistic four is rich with imagery. It's mostly it's t- kind of telling the biblical story, mm-hmm. the history of salvation. It uses a lot of the imagery from the Old Testament, and um, kind of frames it the the whole picture with God the Creator, mm-hmm. and um, and then all of the, the all of the history that precedes coming up to Jesus, and um, it's almost creedal. Like it has a lot of the elements of yep. born of the Virgin and um, his suffering and all of these pieces that are in the creed. The history of it is connected with the um, anaphora of St. Basil, right? So that's the, f- on New Year's Day, the Byzantines always pray this Eucharistic prayer of St. Basil. Huh. And um, it, it basically simplifies that. Yeah. But it's it's meant to, I think, kind of connect the east and the west sure it's sort of like that other lung that uh john paul would say breathe with both lungs Mm -hmm. remember and um so it's it's kind of a nod to that tradition and one of their most beautiful prayers i mean a lot of these prayers are attributed to apostles or great fathers of the church Mm -hmm. in antiquity and we don't have that same thing we don't say our roman canon is the the prayer of saint peter or something like that. But right. this really came from the saint himself writing this, you know, this beautiful prayer for um, Eucharistic prayer. And it has its own very, very beautiful language. Um, my favorite line, I suppose, is um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Yes. And while they were at supper, mm-hmm. you know, that's just in this number four. Mm-hmm. But it comes from John's gospel. And um, it's... It, I mean, it really does frame the whole situation as this, um, this, the sacrifice of love, the connection. It's, it's a communal image, you know, of circling around Jesus and their connection through Jesus to God the Father. And um, it's beautiful when you hit it in the Bible, and I'm really glad that they put it in the Missal because I find it one of the most like profound and beautiful lines in the Gospels. I find that with that prayer— 
it takes some work to lead the people into it because the preface and the intro to the so there's a preface and then after the preface we sing the holy 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 and then after the holy holy there's a really long intro Mm -hmm. before the epiclesis and sometimes people are just used to you are you are good lord and the fount of all holiness make holy therefore these gifts we pray so like all of a sudden like it just happens but if you go to a byzantine liturgy you will notice that they will spend way more time introducing the prayer before all of a sudden the the elements are consecrated. And then after the elements are consecrated, it's like we've already said everything up to this moment. Now, once we've consecrated, we're pretty much done. And if you look at that prayer, after they build up to that kind of climactic line, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them uh, to the end. And while they were at supper, then it's the, the actual Dead. words of institution. The prayer itself is very short. Mm-hmm. Like, we've pretty much said everything already, and Jesus is the answer to all of the prayers and hopes and aspirations of the Jewish people. And so now there's not much more to do. Let's just check out. So yeah. I say, like, with people, like, sometimes they're like, oh, that took forever. I'm like, yeah, but we did a lot on the front end, but not a lot on the back end. Whereas other prayers, it's like not a whole lot on the front end. There's a lot on the back end. Yeah. So. Well, and it's an appeal to, to, to like pay attention in between this offertory moment when you could just check out. Okay, we listen to the homily. We, we, we're paying attention to the readings. We're kind of snoozing now. And then we just go on cruise control until we right. receive communion or right. the words of the consecration where the bells ring and we're on our knees and everything. And that's that's beautiful. There's a focus in mass at that point. Mm-hmm. But you could really miss a lot. You could miss a lot that's there to learn from and to uh, to reflect on and pray. I mean, any image in these prayers is a jumping off point to just contemplation. You know, you just settle in one of those images and let that um, speak to your heart mm-hmm. and kind of direct the prayer of uh, the Lord coming into your um, into your presence, into your body um, with the Eucharist. Right. You know? If you find, uh, what I tell people is, if you find that there's an image that strikes you during Mass, you're not you're not praying the Mass, uh, you know, for the people. You're praying with the Mass being offered, like, to the people. So if you find that an image takes you, just go with it, you know? Or if you find that a word, you know, kind of takes you, just, like, stay with it. The rest of the prayer can just keep going on. It's not like, oh, I got to catch up. It's like, no, just... Meditate on that, kind of saturate, you know, marinate in that. You know, if it was like, okay, all I meditated on for the last however long was, what does it mean to love love something to the end? You know, great. Yeah, Stay and right you're, there. you're going to Mass a lot. So you'll be able to, you know, kind of, you can't attend to every little thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God knows that. That's part of why we have um, a sort of elaborate and rich tradition. You know, the stained glass windows have a lot to them. You know, you could focus on one image at one point and pray another at yeah. another point. You're going to be in danger at the cathedral, man. There's some, there's ah, some amazing imagery there. Beautiful glass. All right, so Eucharistic Prayer 3. I didn't, I kind of took this one for granted for a while. It was kind of like, it's cool that there's a special thing for the dead. And there's kind of special language that goes around that. You name the person and you're praying for them directly. Mm-hmm. There's like a, a provision for inserting the name of a 
saint. Yes. A particular saint. So there's the usual list, and then you can add a particular saint, name one or... Saint of the day or the patron saint of the church, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So I always do both. Do you? I take it as an and I wonder if, yeah, is it a... Can you throw in a litany? I mean, Father Joseph Lejoie does that sometimes, but I kind of see it as if you're in the church that the mass is being celebrated in, you know, or the chapel, I usually include that person first, and then the saint of the day is second, you know, Uh, but sometimes people just go on. Yeah, but what if your church is, um, if your church is Sacred Heart? Yeah, but I I would say Margaret Berry, John Hughes. Oh yeah, right. You know, yeah. I mean, for the Lord, with the I feel bad for the Marian churches because sometimes it's like you mention Mary, but you don't mention like the particular thing. The particular, yeah, so Our Lady that, of Lords. Right. So you know? then it's like Saint Bernadette. Yeah, I, I usually do Saint Bernadette. Nice. Okay, so um, there's part. Yeah, there's particulars to Eucharistic Prayer Three, but the best one by far is a quote from Scripture. Right, it is. Hold on, I gotta pull it up. You never cease to gather a people to yourself, mm. so that from the rising of the sun to oh. its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Uh, what you got? Is that? Uh, I, know, I know it is. It's um. Is it Amos? Nope. Close though. It is a minor prophet. Come on, come on. Think of the end of I the know, canon. I could, I could do it. I, I remember this one. It's in like chapter two, right? It's in the beginning of one of them. It's at the beginning. Chapter one, verse 11. It's not Amos. Oh, that's all I'm thinking of is Amos right nah, now. He's the fruit picker. No, this was oh, my Malachi. messenger. Malachi. So, it, it, yeah, it comes from Malachi. God is complaining. You're, you're with Larkin. So, I mean, like you got two Bible guys. Yeah. We, we riff on the Bible Malachi. Stuff. Yes. Thank you. It's from Malachi 1.11. It says, for from the rising of the sun, this is God talking, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name yes. and a pure offering, for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this was in a context when um, God's name is celebrated in Israel, but it's, it's considered a prophetic announcement that one day, his name would be celebrated and um, and there would be sacrifice offered to his name throughout the throughout the world. Wow. Go and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them, you know. Bring the the name of God to um, throughout all the all the world. So when we're praying this in the Eucharistic prayer, we're announcing that it has been achieved from the rising of the sun to its setting. You know, it's happened. You have gathered a people to yourself. And um, and that is happening, right? It's continually happening. Mm-hmm. And um, the other point of connection is that Malachi is, in itself, the whole book, it's only four chapters, uh, is a prophecy of uh, calling for conversion. It's a complaint about uh, Israel's offerings and their priests. There's all these problems with the temple. Sure. And I'll, I'll summarize by... Uh, pointing out that there is a complaint about the offering itself being spoiled. You bring the worst of your goats to offer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to trick God and you're trying to get around. And there's all this corruption. In is that the- where he's like, when can we, when can we forego the, the 
Sabbath moon and then get back to the real business of selling and buying. And yeah. Get this over with God. Mm-hmm. We've got plans. Well, that's not that's not this book, but it's it is. Not this book. It's a very similar prophetic complaint. Often yeah. they're complaining about, you know, you guys. Are, this isn't this isn't glorifying God. This is just us going through the motions or, um, you know, having a system that is um, kind of to the advantage of some and not to all. Right. So there's a problem with the offerings not being pure not being acceptable. And then there's um, a problem that God has said, I made a covenant with Levi. I made a covenant with him forever, and you're breaking that covenant. My covenant with him, this is uh, chapter 2, verse 5. My covenant with him was a covenant of life and peace. And that goes back to the, um, the high priest Phineas back in Numbers, who um, does this zealous action, and God says, I make a covenant with you, a covenant of peace forever. Hmm. And so there's there's an implication here and among the critique that the priests are not upholding the peace among the people. Sure. That they're causing division by their own negligence. And um, they're, yeah, they're, they're meant to hold on to that covenant and to be mediators, bridges between that uh, God and um, to enact his peace in the world. Finally, there's a critique um, in two seven and in other places about priests not teaching right. So he says, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord uh, uh, of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way and you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So there's a there are these three critiques that I think correspond pretty well with the three munera of priesthood in Christ. What, huh. You remember the three munera? Yes. What Teaching, are they? Teaching, sanctifying, and governing. Teaching and sanctifying and governing. The, the priests of Malachi are not doing any of these. Sure. These are the critiques. Now, they've been turned around. We live on the other side, Right. And uh, they're turned around by Jesus. He comes into the temple. There's this promise uh, in Malachi. Suddenly my messenger will come into the temple. Mm -hmm. The one who you seek, the Lord who you seek will suddenly come in, the messenger of my covenant. And behold, the Lord is coming. So this one who represents the Lord, who's going to restore the covenant of Levi and this promise of priestly perfection. He's going to restore the sacrifices so that they're acceptable. Right, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he comes into the temple and with his whip, and re- reforms at least judges, you know, the problem of this sure. wayward. Temple. Is that the governing or the teaching? Well, I think he, I, I think he perfects all three, you know. And I don't, I don't know. I'd have to work out like where, where exactly does he fix this or mm-hmm. that? But he, he fixes the the whole problem of sacrifice in his own self-sacrifice, right? Hebrews talks about Jesus as the, as the lamb who sacrificed and the priest who sacrifices mm-hmm. himself. Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant. This is a sacrifice for you. you know? Jesus has reformed the whole system of the priesthood. And, uh, and now, on the other side, when we celebrate the Eucharist, we're celebrating with um, this acceptable offering. That the, the offering has been perfected throughout the world from the rising of the sun to its setting. And it doesn't come down to, I mean, you can't read the prophets of the Old Testament as a critique for our current church. 
That's like what Luther did, right? Hmm. That they're always talking to us, always critiquing. They were critiquing a time and a place that Jesus fixed, you know? And we, we don't have everything perfect on this side, right? This isn't, this would be better in, in f- very real ways um, if every Christian that was offering the sacrifice at Mass was the kind of priest that they're meant to be, mm-hmm. right? They're, that is, uh, has um, godly teaching and instruct the, the ignorant, like help people, teach them things, that um, who live in peace and bring peace and, and restore peace where it's not. And those who have like a purity of heart that offers right sacrifice, right? Um, nevertheless, we exist within the prayer and are offering a sacrifice bound to the sacrifice of Jesus. At Mass, we, sac- we sacrifice and offer Jesus. And even though we're, we're marred by our little sins or whatever, and then united, this is a pure and acceptable sacrifice to God. Because the one, one sacrifice. Because it's Jesus. Yeah. You know? And we're united with him in spite of you know, all those, those problems. So it's a celebration of God perfecting everything and then offering this, hmm. this perfect sacrifice. May it be acceptable, you know? I'm glad that there was a scripture scholar in the liturgy room. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what I wanted to point out, the Malachi stuff. So if you want to pray that third Eucharistic prayer even better than you have, check out Malachi. I think we've we've given them little little tidbits for all four of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that'll bring you back. You're coming back to Mass. It, you know, the Mass live streamed isn't the same thing. Right. Um, if you're receiving communion at various times after the mass it's not the same thing you know yeah. pray, praying the mass with the church right. in communion um is the only proper way but this will help you to really enter into and offer the mass because yeah. it is our offering you know we're not there yet but that's where we're heading towards you know like that's the goal you know a lot of people are like is this going to become the new normal it's like no the oh, church no is a personal communal reality we do things not through technological means, but through uh, through devotion, liturgy, and and the work that happens when we're together. For now, it's the best we got, and I mean, I think a lot of people are stretching themselves, but the longing for people for the sacraments is it's palpable. So absolutely, we're excited to get get back to normal. But even as you're praying, you know, you're live streaming a mass, you're praying with a mass, yeah, then. Um, just knowing it a little bit better, kind of really being attentive to these, the prayers of the Eucharistic prayer, even outside of the the prayers of consecration. Um, those are beautiful too. I mean, the whole thing is super rich, but this was a little, little connection with some of the flave, dude. Some of the styles. That's right. Giving some insight. I was just looking to see if we had any shout outs. Great job. I think people right, are, uh, people are going to be. I love the mass. We love the I mass. know you love the mass. No. In the art of prayer. I'm done with my shout outs on the Catholic stuff thing. I've got a little Catholic stuff reminder, whatever, and it, the, the list is empty. I feel like there's one, but well, I've got to, I've got to thank the Sandalwood people. Stuff keeps rolling in. Um, oh, really? You got it? Yeah, I've been getting candles. I got deodorant, Sweet. socks. I mean, yeah, I'm in. A, and up to my head with sandalwood but uh you got any sandalwood incense sticks yeah 
Are you trying to <laughs> trying to tee one up? No, I just wanted to see if I could steal some from you. No, I don't. I'm, I'm working through some lavender incense sticks. I just found out. Uh, I give. I will give a shout out. I think you. I think you might have known them. I don't know. Were you on the Holy Land trip with Nepple? No. So uh, J- Teresa and Joe Roush, Teresa Schultz, nah. uh, Joe Roush, uh, they went to the Holy Land with Nepple and Larkin, Father Larkin, um, and uh, anyways, they brought me back uh, an an oil lamp, like a clay oil lamp. Oh yeah, with a wick. Right. And I hadn't used it yet because I didn't have any oil, but we just went through the, we did the changeover from the old oils to the new oils, and I started burning olive oil. Dude, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. It's How long does the wick last on something like that? Because um, you just pour it right into the... You pour it right in, yeah. And my, my problem was I didn't get the wick completely um, completely wet. I should have I should have allowed the wick to soak and then pulled it out a little bit. So that the end was just, you know, a little bit dry and right. light. So, uh, anyways, but I put it in front of my icons. I'm very grateful. Yeah. So. Okay, I did think of a shout-out. Who's? Uh, what could be more appropriate than shouting out the newly ordained priest? Good point. Of the Archdiocese of Denver and, and everywhere throughout the church. But our guys are our guys. Yep. And um, there's a few of them that are companions. Um, not all of them. To the companions, guys, what's up? That's Chris Considine. That's uh, Father Chris Considine. Oh, come on, man. Father uh, CJ Mast. Uh huh. Father Adrian Hernandez. And then Chris Marbury, Father Chris Marbury. Oh, Chris you Marbury. are a good friend, uh, good Roman dude. And then Father Juan Madrid. Juan Madrid. That's it. Yep. I was for shame. All I could remember was Juan. He's at Holy Cross with uh, Warley, Father Warley. Yeah, Warley it's tough Costa. because you know. Actually, this was the first time uh, whenever I was at the barbecue, like seeing the guys. Like we just had a little get together afterwards. Um, it was the first time that Father Chris Constantine had called me by my first name in over uh, seven years. Whoa! So it was cool. Like it was like, yeah, dude, we're back. That is an interesting. It's like a transition because yeah. There's still there's still older priests that I call father. I don't know how not to, you know. But then th- there's a time when things just feel natural. With sure. First names. All right. Well, thanks, brother. That's right. Good to see you. Keep Catholics, keep cool in these hot days. We're trying. Please send some, you know uh, times of refreshment. That's so, it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on uh, Stitcher and uh, Quilts Are Us. Uh, other various mediums where you can reach us technologically or uh, otherwise. Uh, our addresses are on our website. I don't know what else I'm supposed to announce. What are you talking about? By uh, paper airplane? Yeah, that's pa- my favorite. Paper airplane. So, all right, Catholics up. Check us out. Uh, we'll see you later. Ciao.